from two speakers, um, John and Bonnie Nystrom, um, and they have been training Bible translators with Wycliffe um, in the South Pacific nation of Papua New Guinea for the last 26 years. Um, they have actually written a book called Sleeping Coconuts, right here, um, which tells the story of the amazing way God used a tsunami to change the face of Bible translation in Papua New Guinea. And this book will be available out in the lobby after, so if you're touched by their story or want to support them, um, pick that up. Um, so this morning, John and Bonnie will be sharing with us about the transforming power of God's word in our heart language. So if you'll please give them a warm welcome. Thank you. We have an awesome privilege of having God's word in the language we understand. And I'd like to begin this morning by reading from it. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's a privilege for us to be here this morning. And I was thinking, what are our connections to CMA churches and CMA missionaries? And I, we had, were really blessed for two different years when we lived in gas, near Gas City, Indiana, and we were part of Exit 59 Church. Is anybody here from Exit 59 Church? Is there anybody here who has a better name for their church than that? I don't know what they're doing now that they've renumbered the exits on the interstate. They're doing something, I guess. We want to thank you for the opportunity to lift up our, the name of our Savior as we talk about some of the things that we've seen him done in our lives and the people that we have been, had the privilege of working with. All of us face challenges in our lives. Sometimes we have disasters. And when we do, when things don't go our way, we have a choice about how we'll respond. The things that happen to us do not determine our response. We do. And by God's grace, we can choose to respond differently than one might expect. And we hope to encourage you this morning with a story of what some of our friends did in the aftermath of their disaster and some stories about the way God's word is transforming our lives and the lives of some of the people that we've had the privilege to work with. In 1987, John and I and our 11-month-old daughter took off on the adventure of a lifetime. We moved from Seminole, Florida to Papua New Guinea to an island nation just north of Australia. It's got a little finger pointing up to it. Our village where we ended up was built on the north coast of Papua New Guinea on a narrow strip of sand between the Pacific Ocean and Sisano Lagoon. The village itself was about three miles long and 100 yards wide. And if you're football fans, you know what 100 yards is, right? We loved our life on the beach. Eric came along a couple of years later, and I homeschooled our kids through primary school. 
Every afternoon, John would leave his office under the house and commute 30 seconds upstairs, pick up the kids and take them out swimming to play on the beach. We loved our life on the beach. Both Brianna and Eric are grown and married in the last couple of years living on the West Coast, but they both say they wouldn't trade growing up in Arup for anything. But of course, we didn't go there just to hang out on the beach. Papua New Guinea has about 8 million people living in a land area about the size of California where more than 800 different languages are spoken, more than any other country in the world. And still to this day, there are 300 language communities in Papua New Guinea that have not a single verse of scripture. Bonnie and I went there so the people who speak the Arab language would have the same privilege that you and I have, to hear God speaking to us through the scriptures, translated clearly, in the language that speaks to our hearts. And of course, the first thing we needed to do was learn how to speak the language and become part of the community, make friends, build relationships there. And that's what I was doing, walking around the village, learning something new to say, and then inflicting it on everyone who would listen. And some church leaders came to me that day, one day, and they said, hey, when are you gonna start working? And I said, well, this is my job, I'm learning your language. When are you going to start teaching us how to translate the Bible? When are you going to do that work? I said, well, I'm not ready. They said, we think you are ready, and we want to do Mark's gospel, and we're starting next Monday. And I lost that argument. And by 1993, we had published the gospel according to Luke together in their language, and we had, in the next few years, several other books in draft, and we thought... We're just going to keep doing this until we get the whole New Testament translated into Arab. Then in 1998, 11 years after arriving in Papua New Guinea, everything about our life in Arab, our neighborhood, our friends, our community, our work, ended abruptly in one night. At the end of a beautiful day in paradise, men were coming home across the lagoon in their canoes full of garden produce. Women were at their cook fires. Kids were playing around home or out in the ocean. And just before sunset, a large earthquake triggered an underwater landslide just offshore that sent three 30-foot tsunami waves across that little beach. We were 300 miles away at the National Training Center at the time that we heard about the disaster. And the first person that we talked to who had actually flown over and seen what had happened told us that there was nothing left but sleeping coconuts. And by that he meant coconut trees broken off lying flat on the ground. No evidence that anyone had ever lived there. The waves swept everything into the lagoon, every person, every house, everything. Over 800 Arabs were killed that night. A couple thousand more were killed in the villages to the east and the west, and thousands were left instantly homeless. But the greatest tragedy of that night was that most of those who died did so without ever hearing a word of scripture in their own language. Tragedies in our lives have a way of refocusing our thinking, challenging our assumptions about what we do and why we do them. And that's exactly what happened to us. Before the tsunami, we were totally focused on finishing the Arab New Testament. So much so that when people from the villages to the east and west of us, Sisano and Malo, had come and asked us if we would help them get a translation, 
we thought it was impossible. Everything we knew about Bible translation was one couple like us working in one language on one translation at a time. All of our training, everything we knew told us to say no. But after the tsunami, we and the three Arab translators that had survived realized we couldn't make them wait any longer. We had to find a way to help them and we had to do it sooner rather than later. Our Arab friends had lost a third of their population. Imagine one out of every three people that you know dying on the same day. And at that point, they chose. They could have turned away from God and given up on him. They could have turned inward to see to their own needs. But instead, they chose to turn outward and to serve other people in the midst of their pain. And so even though we and they had no idea how we might work to do Bible translations in three languages at the same time, we decided we're going to do it. And when we sent an invitation to those two communities, east and west of us, those invitations started spreading like rumors. And like rumors do, they went everywhere. We had no intention for them to go. And pretty soon, people from eight other languages, not related to the coastal languages we had in mind, started coming to us and saying, what about us? Can you help us get a Bible translation in our language? And we thought, well, three, we don't know how to do. Eleven is ridiculous. But we knew that if we said no, it could be generations before somebody else would come and help these people get a Bible translation in their languages. So we said, yes, Lord, but you have to make the impossible possible. And then we watched him make it possible providing the people that we, need, we needed to work with us and funds and facilities and even an idea from people in other parts of the world on how we might work in multiple languages. And that amazing story of how the Lord did that, we tell in our book, Sleeping Coconuts. Our whole concept of how to do Bible translation was completely transformed so that three years after the tsunami in September 2001, does anybody remember anything else that happened that month? That same week, 20 translators from, over, from 11 languages, multiple different denominations had come together to start translating and learn how to do Bible translation in their own languages. And since then, they come five times a year for a month at a time to work together. For me, the most exciting part of that beginning was watching the translators that I had trained, like Pastor Peter Marokiki and Emil Ninkure, teaching, training, encouraging, discipling all these new translators just like I had done for them. And the project became a discipleship program, carefully disguised as a Bible translation project. As the translators prayed with each other, encouraged each other, every morning they have an inductive Bible study on the book that they're currently translating because they want to translate it into their lives. And I love listening to them talk about how those translations, how those scriptures are transforming their lives and challenging their culture. During the translation workshops, the translators work together on the same, translation, the same scripture at the same place at the same time. And what they're finding is that discussing those difficult things that they're trying to translate together is a great way to learn what those things mean. I'll give you an example. How many of you have ever been skin windy? Raise your hand. 
Okay, how many of you never raise your hand just as a matter of principle? Just won't do it. That's what I thought. All of you have been skin windy. Probably at the end of last academic year you were, and you just don't remember or don't know. In the Luke, we were checking the chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 8, the story where Jesus heals a woman who's been sick for a very long time. Remember this story? She touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Eventually she confesses that it's her. And the Arabs wrote what Jesus said to her like this. My daughter, your faith has saved you. You go skin windy. I'm checking this for accuracy, among other things, okay? I said, hey guys, I'm expecting go in peace. Tell me about skin windy. And Emil says, it's like this. You're hot and you're sweaty. You're, get, you're working outside, you're getting dirty and sandy and it's just yucky. You can't wait for that to be over. Finally, at the end of the day, you get a chance to take a dip in the ocean, sit down under the shade of a coconut tree, you feel that cool sea breeze blow on you, and you say, that's that feeling of relief. That's what we mean when we say skin windy. And I thought, perfect translation for what this woman is experiencing. She's done worrying about this illness. And what a great way to express the kind of peace that we can have when we know that God has forgiven us for everything that we've done, we've done because of what Christ has done on our behalf. From the tragedy of that devastating tsunami came a complete transformation of the translation project and the process that we were using. Like this bent coconut palm, the translation project began to grow in a completely new direction after the tsunami. But it wasn't just the translation project that God wanted to transform. He wanted to transform the translators as well. Early in our time in Papua New Guinea, I saw in myself attitudes and behaviors, ways of responding to difficulties that I knew needed changing. Our first night in a village in Papua New Guinea, our daughter was bitten up by something, fleas, I don't know what, but she had over 300 bug bites um, on her little body the next morning. It was the end of a long dry season, and we had no water in our, our rain barrel. Our friends in the village were bringing us uh, water in these long bamboo tubes that they had collected from the stream. Um, sometimes we'd boil the water and we'd drink it with all the silt still in it. We didn't even want to wait um, to let it cool or to let that silt filter out. Brianna wasn't sleeping through the night. We were hot, we were tired, we were miserable, and I let everyone who spoke English know just how bad things really were. I realized too at that time that um, I had three priorities. One was to keep our daughter alive, keep her bug bites from getting infected, um, find food, um, figure out how to make food that we actually would eat um, so we wouldn't lose any more weight than we had already, and sleep, and that was it. If those three things happened in a day, it was a good day. Eventually I realized maybe God should be on that priority list somewhere. And I started looking into his word. But I told the Lord, I'll read the scriptures, but you need to keep me awake long enough to hear what you have to say because I usually put myself to sleep reading. I started in Philippians. That's a good attitude book, right? And God did finally keep me awake long enough. I don't know how long it took, but he started to speak loud and clear in chapter two, verse 14. He said, do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, stop there. I had figured the complaining part out. I under, already realized that that was something that needed to change. But arguing, who am I arguing with? I can't argue with my one-year-old to sleep more. I can't argue with people in the village to make it rain more. And God said, you're arguing with me. 
that I'm not doing this right. And sure enough, I had heard myself say on more than one occasion, God, I am here to serve you. You should actually make this doable. At least make it easier than it is, or no translation is ever gonna happen. But he went on to say, do everything without complaining or arguing so that, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. The dream of every Bible translator is to stand in front of a community someday and hold out a finished book, a published New Testament, Old Testament scriptures. But I knew at that point in my life, I would be standing and holding out the word of life and saying, you people really need this book. It doesn't work to change me, but you people really need this book. And I made a commitment then that God's word in my language would transform me the way that I hoped it would transform a community of Papua New Guineans someday. Well, the day finally came when the word of God began to speak in the languages that formed the new um, translation project. In June 2011, the Gospel of Luke was published, the first New Testament book in these languages. And they celebrated in the typical Papua New Guinea way with singing, dancing, speeches. They prayed for the translators because Luke is only 12% of the New Testament. And they prayed that the translators would persevere and finish the job. Cicino, that one of those languages to the west of us that had been asking for a translation, now a part of the new translation project, Cicino translator Kenny Iprum suffers from recurring malaria and who knows what other undiagnosed illnesses. Sometimes he's too sick to even finish a workshop and he has to go home and recover so he can come back again and then a month or two. But he said this to the translators in their devotion times one day. My faith is growing stronger as I see all the things that God is doing among us. No way am I ever going to stop doing this work no matter what problems come, because everything else will pass away, but God's word will last forever. And at the dedication in Cicino, after years of work, Kenny got to read from the Gospel of Luke to his friends and his community gathered there. But not only did they get to hear Kenny read, they got to buy a book, and it came with an audio CD, because a lot of the people um, that we work with either barely know how to read or don't know how to read at all, and they certainly don't know how to, to read in their own language. One of the church leaders in Cicino got his book and his audio CD. He played it on his boombox over and over, and he followed along in the book. He read along in the book as he played the Gospel of Luke until by Christmas time, and remember I said this was June, by Christmas time, he could read the story, the Christmas story, flawlessly in church. Later, some women came to Kenny and they said, Kenny, you know that Christmas story that you translated? Well, one of our pastors read it. And those words shot straight in and excited our stomachs. They heard the gospel clearly in their, in their own language for the first time. When was the last time that the word of God in your language shot straight in and excited your stomachs? One of the reasons it shot straight in is because it was translated clearly. But that doesn't happen overnight. We were checking um, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, where Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, 
will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to use, to you. Nobody was getting that mental picture. So I went up to our house, got a container of granola and a measuring cup, filled that measuring cup up, and then I shook it to settle that granola down, filled it up again until it was full, and then kept going until it overflowed and made a mess in the translation desk. And as soon as I did that, there were conversations going all around me. The the common conversation we had was over now, total chaos, but good chaos. And finally, a few minutes later, the Arab translator said, we've got a new draft. We'd like to read it to you, and I'll translate it into English for you all. They wrote it like this. Y'all must give to others. Oh, I should let you know, this is the dialect from Southern Arab. They said, y'all must give to others, and God will give to y'all in turn and add more. He'll pour in and pour in until it's full, then shake it down until it settles, and then totally fill it up again until it spills over. For whatever measure y'all use to give to others, that's the measure y'all will receive in return. And this scripture is being fulfilled in the life of our friend, Leone Peter, our translator friend, Pastor Peter Marokiki's wife. She's on the, uh, in the middle here. For more than 20 years, while Pastor Peter's been translating the Bible into his language, she's been super supportive of him in doing that. And I say his language because she's not a native speaker of Arab. Her language, her language is Bauni Barapu. And on the night that we published Luke, that Luke was actually printed in our village in her language, she was there, and our partner Beth Fuller sat right down next to Leone and started to read to Leone in Leone's language. And as Beth started to read, Leone started to giggle. And the more Beth read, the more Leone giggled until Beth finally said, Sister, tell me how to read this better. Tell me what I'm not pronouncing right. And Leone said, Not, you're, you're doing fine, but this is my language. This is my language. And Bonnie mentioned earlier Kenny Iprum from Sisano, one of the languages that we kept turning down before the tsunami. Malol was the other one. A man from Malol took some scriptures home to his family for the first time, read it, and his daughter said, Daddy, this is so delicious. Isn't that a great way to think about what God's word is like to us when it speaks to us clearly and shoots straight into our hearts? But that's not all she said. She said, Daddy, this is delicious. Can you bring us some more? That's what John and I are all about. That's what Wycliffe Bible Translators is all about. Um, Bringing those delicious moments, helping people of the world to have the scriptures in their own language. Wycliffe is asking God that by the year 2025, every language in the world that needs the scriptures will have a translation progress project in progress by that time. And each and every one of you can be part of making that happen. Wycliffe has a list of all the Bibleless peoples of the world. Every language with a translation need and no work in progress is on that list. In 1983, a group of 40,000 Sudanese people called the Tira were placed on the Bibleless people's prayer project. In November 1983, David and Ray, two American students, began to pray for the Tira. In May 1986, Jan and Jerry promised to pray for this people group. And in March 1990, Jane and Marjean committed themselves to pray for the Tira people. In August 1990, a report came from the prayer pro- to the prayer project organizers that a young Tira man named Avanjani was studying to do Bible translation in his own language. 
They wanted to encourage him and they wrote him and gave him the names of the people that had been praying for him and the dates that those people started praying. And this is what he wrote back. He said he became a Christian in November 1983, the month that David and Ray began to pray. He was accepted to theological studies in May 1986 when Jan and Jerry started to pray. He heard about courses in Bible translation and was accepted as a student in March 1990 when Jane and Marjane began to pray. In 1999, the first Tira scriptures were published. Don't ever say all you can do is pray. How many people are there here today? About 500? What if every one of you picked up a card or went to Wycliffe.org and began praying for one of those languages? Wycliffe will send you information about them so that you can pray. I'm on our international board, so every year we get to hear the current Bible translation statistics. In 2012, there were more than 2,000 languages in progress, translation projects in progress around the world. In that same year, the number of languages left fell below 2,000 for the first time in history. Currently today, there's more progress happening than there are needs left in the world. What would happen if Crown College adopted one of those language projects, prayed for them, raised funds, sent students to do internships. Last year, in 2013, 143 new language projects were started. The pace of Bible translation is happening so quickly now that some of you in this room may be alive on the day when the last scriptures are being dedicated, whether you hear it on a Christian radio station or tweeted, who knows what the technology will be, but you may hear that the last scripture, the last language now has the scriptures. What would happen if a Crown College graduate was a part of that last language project? Let's listen to God's word again in our language. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Making us skin windy. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. When spilling granola reveals their meaning. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And some of us can't stop giggling. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Causing us to persevere even through recurring malaria. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Absolutely delicious. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. What if everyone in this room received with joy the scriptures in your language and allowed them to transform your lives every day? Pray with me, would you? Father, we thank you that we do have your word in our own language. We thank you for letting us participate in bringing it to those who don't have it. And we pray that you'd help us not to take for granted that we do have it in our own language and can learn about the forgiveness and peace that comes through the death of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. And you're dismissed.